Welcome to the Resonate Boise Sermons Podcast. Today, you'll be hearing from our site pastor, Jonah Link, as he continues our sermon series going through the Sermon on the Mount. Well, good morning, Resonate. It's a joy to be with you. Um, If I haven't met you, my name is Jonah. I'm our pastor and... Like I said, welcome. It's an honor to have you here. So this last this weekend is our student retreat, hence nothing being here. Uh, but what's happening up there is incredible. The sacrifice and the investment that a lot of you make in our students, in our staff, um, is coming to fruition this weekend. On Friday night, I got to talk through James chapter 5 and help students understand what it looks like to build a life-changing community. If you walked in the door, I saw a painting on the wall back there. It says, life-changing community, world-changing purpose all because of Jesus. And that's what we're teaching the students up there this weekend. And so last or two nights ago, I got to sit there, talk through James 5, and help students see that where there is prayer, where there is praise, where there is confession through James 5, that is how we build a life-changing community. That's our hope for the students. That's the hope for this space as well. And so I, I was telling Dave and Walker uh, just before church that there was an incredible moment Friday night where we had planned to have me teach for like 20 minutes to these students, have uh, a moment of confession with the people around them in hopes of building this life-changing community, and then we'd move on to a bonfire. So I had Stephen Watts go out there and start a bonfire like right when I started because usually it takes some time to start a fire and unless you're good at that stuff. And he started it. And next thing I know, we're like an hour deep into confession and praying over one another. And I look outside and the fire is still going. And I'm like, we might run out of wood. I don't know. But these students are having an incredible moment with with God and with one another. And so that's just a thank you to each one of you. Most of you like financially invested in those students, whether you tithe to our church and money goes to making that stuff happen or you specifically support our staff. Like moments like that are what we're here for. We're here for Jesus to change us. So just to encourage you guys before we get into the sermon. So this morning, though, bittersweet. It's the last Sunday of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you guys are fatigued yet working through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is like hitting us with a gut punch week after week after week, but this is the last week of the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we talked about the beginning of Jesus' conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount where he talked about three things. It starts with the golden rule. Essentially, love God and love people is summarizing everything that God had, or Jesus had talked about up to that point in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like a one-liner, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule, that's that one-liner summary of Jesus' teaching up to that point. And then he starts on this journey of warnings to his people and decisions that we as followers have to make. The first one was the wider narrow gate. That's the majority of what we talked about last week. Which one will you choose? The wide gate, it's easy, but it leads to destruction and many are going to choose that. The narrow gate, which is Jesus and choosing him ultimately is difficult in this life. And you guys have probably experienced that, but it leads to eternal life and Jesus says few are going there because it's a tough choice to make in this world. 
And the third thing that Jesus talked about was watch out for false teachers. Watch out for these people that are going to lead many down this wide path through the wide gate. Watch out for these people. You'll recognize them by the fruits that they produce, the, uh, what comes out of their ministry, what comes out of what they say. The byproducts of their labor are going to show you that they are false teachers. As I'm reading through and studying this text, I, I become aware that this is probably the most downer of the end of a sermon I've ever listened to. I don't know about you guys and who you listen to in your spare time. Um, I, for one, I, don't, I know I'm not that funny. I'm not trying to do too much that I'm not gifted in. Tori's the funny one out of us both. You all know that and have said it too many times. You don't have to tell me anymore. Um, but the reality with Jesus here is he kind of sticks at home. Like he sticks home the end of this sermon and then he's just done. Do you guys notice that as you come to the end of the sermon, it's not like he gives us an incredible analogy or story to encourage or build us up. He ends with, do you guys know what he ends with? Have you looked ahead yet? He's going to end with a moment where he says, people that build their house on sand, ultimately when the storm comes, it's going to wipe them away. And that's what he ends his sermon. That's how Jesus ends this thing. And so not the most encouraging and build up fun feeling sermon that you'll ever hear. But ultimately, Jesus wants to give us perspective. He wants to give us truth. He's not trying to build up in us an anxious people as he communicates this truth, but rather, I think, build in us a healthy fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 reads that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So as we come into the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, I want to steer us clear of anxiety or feeling anxious about what Jesus says and lead us into a healthy fear of the Lord that the Bible speaks of. As we'll see, at the very, very end, there's a little snippet where Matthew writes about how Jesus has authority. And if Jesus has authority, then we need to listen to everything that he says, specifically what he's talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so my prayer for us today, as I communicate a bunch of stuff to you, my biggest hope is that you would want to radically step into the love of Jesus and knowing him, one, and secondarily, a radical obedience of, uh, of what Jesus tells us to do. There is an obedience piece that I want to lead us into. So there's going to be a bunch of action on the end of this. And so we don't have, like I said, we don't have a screen. I have a bunch of things I would love for you to write down, but I'm kind of just praying that the Holy Spirit would let things stick that stick, and I'll try to communicate some stuff multiple times if you do want to write it down. But ultimately, we're just going for it today. Three things that I want you to ask yourself today. Number one, are you going to pursue a real relationship with Jesus? Real or surface level? That's the first thing that Jesus is going to speak to. Are you going to pursue a real or surface level relationship with Jesus? Second question, are you going to build a sturdy or a weak foundation? It's the second thing that Jesus talks about. Foundation, sturdy or weak. And the third one is who or what will be your authority? So authority, if you wrote down three words in regards to these questions, it'd be relationship, foundation, and authority. And if you forget those, just look at your Bible. They go in order. You'll see your Bible is probably divided into three sections. One that has to do with knowing Jesus. One that has to do with your foundation. And one that has to do with the authority of Jesus. 
So go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to jump into that very first question. We're going to work straight through all three, and by the end of the day, I hope you have some really tangible things that you can take away from these. So Matthew 7, 21 through 23, this is what Jesus has to say as he continues to conclude the sermon. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. This is heavy. Like, I don't know what your initial feeling is as you read or hear that, those words of Jesus, but when I first read that, I was like, this is, this produces fear in me for sure. Look at what's happening here. Jesus is painting a picture of someone coming, trying to come into the kingdom of heaven, fully expecting to enter into heaven, fully expecting to spend eternity with their Jesus. They even use the language, Lord, Lord, which clearly shows us that they know who Jesus is. It says, Lord, Lord, I'm ready to enter the kingdom. That's the password, right? Like, I just got to know who you are and I get in to heaven. Open up the gates. Let me in. Jesus, he knows their hearts. He knows their motivations. He knows why they're saying what they're saying. He knows why they're saying, Lord, Lord. But they might have never even obeyed him, never even actually knew him. And Jesus contrasts this group of people with ones that do the will of the Father, as you see in the text. The ones who obey God's will and design for their life will enter the kingdom of heaven, is what Jesus is saying. And so you might ask, well, Jonah, what about Romans 10, 9? Confess and believe and, and, and you'll be saved. It's, it's grace and that is it. Doesn't Romans teach that? Yeah. This isn't about salvation by works. That's not what Jesus is talking about. This is about merit and grace. It's not between merit and grace, but rather about profession and way of life. This isn't salvific in this moment, but Jesus is talking about when you profess, you live a certain way of life. There is a reality for us that when Jesus is Lord, it produces works in us. You guys think about James chapter three, where it talks about faith without works is dead. That's what James says about the faith of those that has nothing uh, that is produced because of it. That's what James talks about. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here as well. well Romans 10, 9 says, confess and what? It says confess and believe, right? What does belief in something produce? It produces action, right? Think of something that you guys have believed so strongly in whether it led you to give to an organization, whether it led you to like physically go build houses for a group of people. I, I don't know what that belief or that confession or that belief is in you, but I look at so many examples within our church over the last couple of years. I think about Sammy and Kelly and their strong belief that every mother and child should be fed in the city of Boise, which leads them to start a partnership with City Light so we cook meals for them. Think about Taylor Garnica, who has a really strong belief that our knowledge and understanding of God should be shared with the church. So it leads him to start a little library back there. It's not finished yet. Don't look. Um, he's working on it. But that is 
evidence of his strong belief that he wants people to have great knowledge and share it with everyone. Our staff believe so strongly that college students are worth investing in, and many of you believe that as well, and it leads you to give financially towards reaching college students. It leads our staff to give up what could be a way better paying job so that they can see eternities changed on the college campus. Katie, she believes so strongly that mothers and unborn children have inherent value in the eyes of God so much so that we need to partner with people that help those individuals, and she created a partnership between, between us and Stanton. Our beliefs produce action. I could go on and on and on. You could look at the disciples' lives. Their belief that Jesus was who he said he was ultimately led the majority of them to be brutally murdered. Like that's just a fact of the early disciples of Jesus. His disciples were murdered because of their belief. So when we have a strong belief in something, it will inherently lead us to action. That's what Jesus is talking about. All those things I mentioned, incredibly good, incredibly valuable things. But what does Jesus say? He says that those people that get to the gate will also have a rebuttal for him. And I don't recommend arguing with Jesus. I I just don't. What he says is they bring up that they've prophesied in his name. They bring up that they have done miraculous works, mighty works, and many of them at that. And Jesus doesn't deny them, does he? He doesn't say, oh, yeah, you're right. You've done all of these incredible things. He doesn't say that. He says it's it's essentially not good enough to get them into the kingdom of heaven. I found this quote by Leon Morris. He's a a biblical scholar. And he said, to be active and in religious affairs is no substitute for obeying God. To be active in religious affairs, to do a lot of things that look good on the outside are no substitute for your personal obedience to God. Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you that never actually obeyed me. And there is a reality here that should really pique our interests. Like we're all sitting in a church gathering, right? We are all probably people that would consider ourselves like we are absolutely going to heaven. And I'm not trying to create fear in you in the sense or anxiety within you whatsoever. But I think there's a reality. We got to look at ourselves for me personally, I, is, I started a prayer gathering with uh, our cohort with a bunch of pastors from across America last week. And we were talking about how, like what we do in ministry, our roles, everything kind of we've accomplished in ministry. And not like saying, this is how big my church is, stuff like that. But like mostly saying how long we've been in ministry, what we've been able to be a part of. There's one guy I forget his name, but he was talking about how he spent 20 plus years leading a church, another 10 years on top of that being a children's pastor. And he was telling the group how he had done all these incredible things and he's not sure if any of it, he actually knew Jesus or if he was just leading under his own ability, power, skills. And it scared me to death. And it was literally as I'm preparing this passage and I'm preparing to talk about this very thing. And I started to think about myself, like what if I led Resonate for 20 plus years and we saw people come to faith and people get baptized and awesome stuff happened within our church. And I never like actually knew who Jesus was. Like, I never actually knew him. I never actually had a rich relationship with him. What if I came to the gates of heaven fully expecting to get in like, Jesus, I'm here. What's up? Let's go. Let's party. Let's worship you for all of eternity. And he's like, I don't know you. 
Like I did a bunch of incredible things my entire life in his name. And ultimately he might say, I, I never knew you. That produces a little bit of fear in me. That makes me want to make sure that everything I'm doing is for him, for his glory. Make sure that I know him in every sense of the word no. So we must choose what kind of relationship we want with Jesus. This is the first question. Do you want a rich and life-giving relationship with Jesus? Or do you want a shallow one with shallow obedience that might look good to us on the outside, but ultimately isn't producing anything of value in God's eyes? So this is a question only you personally can answer for yourself. Only you know the motivations of your heart. Only you know why you do what you do. So even as you come in here to worship, I don't, I don't know what your motivations are. If you're looking for a, a great community of believers, if you're looking just to connect with the Lord, I, I don't know what you're trying to do when you come into this space. But ultimately, what we need is to know Jesus more than we need to do anything. That's a, one of the main things I want to communicate to you is we need to know Jesus more than anything. So that might lead you to ask yourself questions like, where do my priorities lie? What am I trying to accomplish in life and why? Ultimately, is it leading to a place of knowing Jesus, knowing the person of Jesus? And that leads us into the next part of Jesus's sermon. Verse 24, this is about the foundation. He gives us this story, this illustration. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And as the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And, the, and great was the fall of it. This gets us into the second question is what kind of foundation do you want to build? What kind of foundation do you want to build? Do you want a sturdy or a weak foundation? There's, there's two options that Jesus lays before us and it's our choice. Jesus paints the picture of these two foundations that we can choose to build. And one, obviously stand strong when the storms of life rage and stuff goes crazy. And as my dad would say, as crap hits the fan, you are able to stand firm. You're able to resist what is going on. You're able to stand firm on the truth of who Jesus is, which is ultimately the rock. The rock is Jesus. We need to build our foundation on Jesus. But the other story is quite the opposite. It's someone who probably spends their entire life just doing a bunch of things and never actually having a foundation in the one who we do it for. And so every, Jesus says, everyone who hears my words and does them is like the wise person, the one who builds their life, their house on the rock, on Jesus. If you hear my words and do them, he says, you are wise. If you hear them and don't do them, he calls you a fool. He says, don't be like that. Be like the guy who builds his foundation on the rock. And so we live in a time where we have more information than ever, right? Like you guys are probably overloaded with information every single day. Speaking from experience, I have a supporter who just gifted me a, a Bible software that gives me access to over like 1,300 books. That knowledge, granted, with my reading level, like that'll take me years and years and years, maybe decades to get through all of that. But ultimately, nothing that I'm going to learn is going to produce obedience in me. 
Like I can fill my head with knowledge and never really obey Jesus and what he teaches. I can know everything. And I imagine that's the people that are coming up to the gate. They're saying, Lord, Lord, like I know all this stuff. And Jesus is like, dude, I, but I don't like actually know you. So your building of a strong foundation is a result of you hearing and obeying the words of Jesus. And that's where obedience becomes of the utmost important to us. Obedience to Jesus becomes incredibly important because Jesus says one is wise. You're wise if you obey Jesus. You are very wise if you do that. And then you are a fool if you hear what I have to say and you don't obey them. This word fool in the Greek, I thought this was fascinating as I was studying. It's called moros. Can you guys think of a word that kind of sounds like that? Come on. You can say it. It's, it's church. Moron. Like that's where moron comes from is this word moros that is being used right here in, in Matthew. This is what Jesus says. He calls you a fool if you hear his words and do not obey them. This word moros is like just a complete lack of forethought. Like you hear something and you're like, well, that doesn't matter. And I'm just going to move on. Jesus says, you're a fool if you hear what I have to say and do not obey. And so Jesus is saying, you've heard everything that I've just said. You've heard everything that I've taught you. And at this point, you'd be a fool not to obey. Like this is the narrow gate that leads to life. This is the narrow path that leads to eternity. Like you should absolutely obey what I have to tell you. I've given you the foundation. I've given you the blueprint for how to obey. And if you need that blueprint, just read the last couple of chapters. Jesus gives his followers the blueprint for what it looks like to live under the authority of Jesus. And what's interesting, when you think about these two houses, I, I imagine this picture of like, you know, the spec homes in Boise that are everywhere, like CBH homes, like they all look exactly the same, right? Tori and I toured one at one point and we're like, she actually liked it. I was like, dude, I, I hate how every house looks exactly the same. This drives me crazy. But I imagine this is like the illustration that Jesus is painting a little bit. You have two houses. They look exactly the same. They look perfectly identical. I'm sure most of the houses at that day and age actually looked the same. Like, I don't know what all you could do at that point in time uh, with building homes. But at this point, Jesus is like, they probably look exactly the same, but they are vastly different just because of what they're built on. They're vastly different. For us, we had a couple over on Thursday night and we were talking about literally their house, their foundation, their driveway. And they were like, our, our concrete is like crumbling. This house was literally built like two years ago, bought it brand new and their concrete is crumbling in their driveway. And they're like, so we went around, looked at other houses and they were like, oh yeah, we didn't see anyone else's driveway crumbling, but ours. The first ones built, they look fantastic. They still look brand new, but ours is like wasting away here and just crumbling. This doesn't make any sense. And we, he started to talk about all his theories and Kyle was saying stuff like, oh, they probably just went way too fast on ours. They probably used terrible concrete. They probably had way unskilled laborers compared to what they had when they first start building, started building houses. But it's like the story here. They're, the time wasn't taken to build a strong foundation. So granted, I bet Kyle's house won't go anywhere if there's a really stormy day. But uh, the reality is in this story that Jesus is talking about here, it's the foundation is incredibly, incredibly important for us. And so Jesus himself, he spends 40 days before starting his earthly ministry, just praying and fasting. 
And I imagine that's a picture for us to build what it looks like to build a foundation on Jesus, a foundation on God, his law, what he desires for us. And Jesus is, is God as well. And he still builds that foundation. I started to think about my life and my ministry and how quickly I was interjected into ministry and how little of a foundation I have. And I'm like trying to hammer away on a foundation while I'm trying to build a house as well. And it's, it's hard, guys. It's hard, but we have people around us that can encourage us and build us up and help us have that foundation. And so it starts with your desire, right? It starts with what you want. Do you want to have a strong foundation? Do you want to be able to stand firm when the things of life come hurling at you? Which happens a lot, right? Like you guys have had stuff happen where you're like, this sucks, man. Life is so hard. But ultimately, what do we have to remind ourselves of? What foundation is our house, our, our life built upon so that we can stand firm as a church even? That's stuff that I think about. So that's the second question. Are you going to build a sturdy or weak foundation? I found this quote that was, for me, super helpful. Um, it's from Craig uh, Blomberg uh, from the NAC. It's a commentary that I was reading. He said, it is not simply, not simply enough to hear Jesus call or even respond with some temporary flurry of good deeds. It's not good enough. Rather, we must build a solid foundation that combines authentic commitment to Christ, authentic commitment with persevering obedience, persevering obedience, because it is hard to obey Jesus in this world, right? No nods, nothing. Like It is hard. Maybe it's just me. I think it's really hard to obey Jesus in this world. You have people, friends, coworkers that are trying to steer you in a certain direction. It gets really hard. But when we have the foundation of truth, which is Jesus, we are able to obey by the power of the Spirit. So there's no question from this text that Jesus is calling us to do, to take action. The word does appears 22 times just in this little sermon. Just in this little sermon, 22 times. And then you think about the word you and your. I didn't count this one because it was too much, man. I got, I got tired and it was too much on my eyes. But you see this word all the time. And what Jesus is saying, it's not like pointing at Tanner. It's not saying you obey me. It's not pointing at individuals in the crowd. This word is actually plural. And he's pointing at all of his disciples and saying this applies to all of us. All of us in this room, this applies to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your responsibility to do the will of the Father, as Jesus says. So Jesus doesn't want any of us just sitting on the sideline expecting to get into heaven saying, Lord, Lord, but rather he wants us to do his will. He wants us to walk in obedience to him. So are we going to be a church that is built on a sturdy or a weak foundation? That's what I'm thinking through. Are we going to be a church that is built on a sturdy or a weak foundation? So when the storms come, when culture presses on the church, which we've seen, maybe not necessarily here in Boise, but you see in America, in Canada, around the world, the culture pressing on the church to, be, to act contrary to what God's word says, to believe contrary to what God's word says, are we going to be able to stand firm on the truth of God's word? Because there is a day coming. Revelation eleven eighteen 18 reads that the nations rage, but you, your wrath 
came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great. So there is a day of judgment coming according to the Bible. So in the meantime, are we going to turn to Jesus and obey him and build our lives on a solid foundation where when the storm comes, the ultimate storm of judgment day comes, we're standing firm. And why does all this matter? Why does all of this matter? What does all of this hinge on that we sh- why we should even obey it? And that's the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has the authority. The last two verses say, and this is Matthew writing, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes or their current teachers of the day. Jesus has authority. His audience was astonished. They were taken back at what Jesus was teaching them. Jesus says it is before him that we will stand and he will either grant or deny access to eternity in heaven with him. Do you guys catch that in the first little section we studied? Jesus is the one who will either say, depart from me or welcome in. Jesus is the one. He's the one whom all of this hinges on. Jesus determines our eternity. And so Jesus has the authority and those people at that time are recognizing Jesus' authority. And it's one of my prayers for us as we come to the culmination of the sermon is we would recognize the authority of Jesus. And when you recognize the authority of Jesus, it becomes much easier to submit in obedience to him. Jesus is worth listening to, worth obeying. And so Jesus, he claims even in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Him. It's been given to him. Therefore, we go and make disciples. But Jesus claims that all authority in he- both in heaven and on earth is his. And so in order to take action on this, I think there's three things. So you can write these down if you want to. You need to know Jesus. That is the relationship piece. Number two is build your life on Jesus. And third is obey Jesus. All of these things hinge on uh, our decisions to pursue after the person of Jesus. So as I conclude today, I want to take us into a place of action. It would be really poor pastoral work for me to not read the whole Sermon on the Mount, to teach you the entire Sermon on the Mount, and not lead you into action, because I think that is exactly what Jesus is doing. John 14, 21 says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. If you love Jesus, you obey him. Yeah, we fail, we sin, and that's where the gospel comes into play and we receive the grace that God's given us because we know from 1 John that God is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We know that is available to us, but that doesn't excuse us from obeying God. So Jesus says, whoever keeps my commandments and hears them, those are the people that love me. So let's show our love for Jesus through our obedience. So number one, knowing Jesus, how do we step into a true relationship with Jesus? Well, one, if you have not confessed Jesus as Lord, that's the place to start. And that comes down to Jesus and confessing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he does have authority, that he did come and die on a cross, taking your place. 
And if you confess and believe in who Jesus is, you will be saved. That's the salvific salvation moment. And then obedience is found on the back end of that. You begin to obey as you've accepted the gift of grace that Jesus offers. And so build a genuine relationship with Jesus through prayer. I think that's one of the first places that you can go. And we never graduate from this idea of prayer. Jesus himself retreats into the garden of Gethsemane alone to be with the father before he is nailed to the cross. Jesus didn't graduate from talking to God. We need to pursue Jesus through prayer. It's our way of communicating with him. I'm sure all of you have a friend where you might even label them a prayer warrior. Like you just love them to death because of their, the way that they pray, the, pray that the, the way that they intercede, they go to God on your behalf. I have a couple of supporters that Tori and I, every time we hang out with them, we spend 20 minutes and they just pray over us. And it is one of the most life-giving things. And so for you, if you want to know Jesus, you got to talk to him. You got to interact with him. You got to put your phone and distractions aside and talk to him, interact with him. So if you want to know more about prayer, you can just read a couple chapters back in Matthew 6. Jesus outlines how we ought to pray. If you want to learn more about prayer, you can go onto our Spotify channel. I taught on prayer not too long ago, but prayer, man, that is the initial way that we become like a true knowing of Jesus, how we get to a place of really knowing Jesus for who he is. And I'm personally, I'm no expert on prayer. That's why I joined the prayer cohort, Uh, but I would love to pray with you. Like I was talking to my buddy Joshua uh, the other day, and I would love to pray with you as you continue on this path of knowing Jesus more deeply. Number two, build your life on Jesus, the foundation piece. How do we do that? How do you build a foundation that when your house is sitting on, when your life is sitting on this foundation, no matter what hits you in life, you're not going anywhere. How does that happen? I I know many people, and you can look up many pastors over the history of America, and sin has taken them completely away from the church and Jesus. There wasn't an actual foundation there. They were just doing a lot for Jesus. So when stuff happened in their life, it was easy for them to just walk away. But for us, I think we got to build our life on the foundation of Jesus by spending time in your Bible. Spending time understanding and knowing the word of God. Because how else are you going to combat or even understand what lies exist in the world? How are you going to understand what culture and people are trying to lead you to? If you don't know what's actually true, when you are hit with a situation that you might consider a storm in your life, what are you going to use to remind yourself of what your life is founded on? Or is what happens to you in your life within this world going to toss you and rip your house off of the foundation that you have? And so you build a stronger foundation as you ingest what is true. So that's my encouragement for you. Read the Bible. There are plenty of study programs out there. I'd love to help you figure out even how to read the Bible if you don't know how. But that is how we're going to build our life on Jesus. That's how we're going to have a strong foundation is through Scripture. And thirdly, obedience to Jesus. What does it look like to obey? This is a complete dying to ourselves, right? It's a complete dying to ourselves. We have a sinful nature within us that wants to do one thing. And if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit is always directing you a different way from that, right? You have moments, probably daily, where you're like, man, I want this, but God's word says this. 
How do we continue to choose God's word? How do we continue to walk in obedience to Jesus as we read the Sermon on the Mount? And personally, I was convicted week after week of ways I wasn't fully walking in obedience to Jesus. How do you turn from that and turn to Jesus and what he teaches us? I think you need people. I think you need people around you, specifically the people sitting next to you, to be able to point you towards obedience to help you and hold you accountable. Have you ever noticed the friendships that you have in your life dictate your obedience a decent amount? I don't know about you guys, but when I was in my fraternity, all of those guys were taking me completely away from Jesus, and it was really easy to go that way. As soon as I gave my life to Jesus, all of those guys weren't very helpful in helping me obey Jesus, right? As I get, got involved with Resonate, gave my life to the Lord, got involved in a village, I soon had people that were directing me towards obedience and doing it alongside me. We need people around us to encourage us to obey. And so Resonate, are you encouraging one another to obey? Are you encouraging one another to walk in the truth that Jesus lays out for us? And so each of these questions that I prompted today, ultimately my prayers would lead you to action. I think that's Jesus' whole intention of the Sermon on the Mount is to lead his people into a deeper loving union with him and to lead his people to action. Because his people act a certain way. His people respond in obedience in a certain way. And so for each of you sitting here, my biggest prayer is that you would think through those three questions, that you would choose to take action towards knowing Jesus. You'd choose to take action towards building a strong foundation, and you would choose to take action towards obeying Jesus with every part of your life. So I know that was a ton. I know the Sermon on the Mount as a whole was a lot to process. And personally, I'm still processing a ton that I was teaching on. And so if you want to talk more about some of the stuff that we've talked about over the last, I think it was like 17 weeks, we, we covered the Sermon on the Mount, which is crazy. Jesus covered that in a day. Could you imagine that? Just insane to think about. But anyways, I pray that the Sermon on the Mount has truly transformed the way that you think about Jesus. Jesus does want to lead you into action, and he also wants to know you deeper than anyone's ever known you. So will you be willing to know and be known by Jesus? And I pray that all of this would lead you to action. So I'm going to pray for us. And Lord, thank you for who you are. Jesus, thank you for the words that you've given us in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, I pray that as we continue to reflect on all of the things that you've taught, Jesus, you would lead us, one, into a deeper relationship with you. Help us to know you the deepest level. God, remove any anxiety or fear around that and help us to love you with everything that we are. And secondarily, Lord, I pray that it would lead us into obedience. Jesus, you say that those who hear your commandments and obey them, those are the people that love you. So Lord, would you lead us into a joyful obedience of what you teach. Jesus, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.